Hello, and welcome to another episode of Alexis Says. I am your host, Alexis Miguez, and today I say that I am guilty as charged. So today I just want to talk to you guys about the bad movies that I love, right? We all have them. We all have these movies that are objectively bad, right? Everyone knows they're bad. Critics say they're bad. People that saw them in theaters say they were bad, but you still love them, right? They're your guilty pleasure. They're the movie that you don't care, sucks, you're going to watch it anyway. So I'm going to talk to you guys about my films, my choices of films that, yeah, they're they're not that great, <laughs> you know, objectively speaking. But I don't know, there's just something about them. There's like some charm to them that just draws me in and I'll, I'll just watch them whenever. I don't care. So first movie that I want to talk about is Batman Forever. <laughs> Now, this is the third movie in the original Batman franchise, right? That started with Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, right? Jack Nicholson as the Joker, right? The first two movies were just classics, amazing Batman movies, just great movies altogether that really got the superhero genre going in the movie theater. And then Batman Forever came out after that. It came out in 95 and totally just not the same. Michael Keaton's gone. So this is the first of the Joel Schumacher film, right? Tim Burton left the movie. Joel Schumacher is directing it now. Although Tim Burton did produce the movie, which you notice it because the movie keeps some of the aesthetics from the first two films. It keeps a lot of the gothic charm, um, you know, just super dark. They have like no daylight scenes, I think, in that movie at all. And the reason why Schumacher took over was because apparently McDonald's, of all people, complained about the second film, which was Batman Returns, that it was too violent and it wasn't kid-friendly enough. Basically, they weren't able to sell enough toys in their Happy Meals. So McDonald's had enough sway over the studio where they told Tim Burton to step down and they brought in Joel Schumacher. And when this happened, Michael Keaton, he was going to stay on. He was going to keep being Batman. But the script was rewritten multiple times, right? So many times that he just lost interest and just didn't want to do it. The guy turned down $15 million, which back then was a shit ton of money. But he just didn't want to do it. He saw the script, what it was becoming. He just didn't want to be a part of it. Also, Billy D. Williams, he um, he played Harvey Dent in the second movie, Batman Returns. And he was also tied to come back. But they recasted him all together and they replaced him with Tommy Lee Jones, who ended up being Two-Face. Um, and originally, Robin Williams was supposed to be the Riddler. Or at least they offered him the part. But he was pissed because originally with the first Batman movie, they threw out there into the media that he was up for the role of the Joker. But it was all really a ruse. It was bait because they wanted to get Jack Nicholson. But I guess he wasn't interested at first. But by them saying Robin Williams was up for the role, Jack Nicholson was like, oh, no, fuck that. I want to do it. So they gave him the role. And Robin Williams apparently never forgave them for that and told him to go fuck off when they offered him the Riddler. But it's fine because the role went to Jim Carrey and I thought he did great. Honestly, I felt both actors did a good job with the material that they had. Jim Carrey in particular, like, I thought was great. And then Tommy Lee Jones was the happiest I've ever seen him in any film role ever. Like, he, I don't know, it was weird. Because, you know, the guy, he did, he looks grumpy in everything that he's in. But as Two-Face, he just had that, that good mix of madness and the, the senility that you have being a, a criminal lawyer that Harvey Dent was. And... You know, the movie, right, basic Batman plot, right? You have the Riddler and Two-Face trying to take over Gotham. You're Batman. You're trying to basically take them on and defeat them. 
And the movie, I feel, you know, it's, it's, it's an underrated movie. When you, especially when you compare it to Batman and Robin. It's just way better than that. But I think over time, the film has just gotten better. right? Like I said earlier, Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones did well. They were fun as the villains. The riddles that Jim Carrey would give to Bruce Wayne Batman during the films, you know, they were fun. And it also helped to showcase Bruce Wayne's intelligence better than you've really seen in any of the other Batman films. Like in The Dark Knight Rises, how could he have not have figured out that the lady that he was having sex with was Talia al Ghul, like the enemy? You really couldn't figure it out? You're supposed to be a world-class detective and you never saw that coming. So this film really showcased his intelligence by figuring out all these different riddles, which eventually helped him figure out who the Riddler actually was. And, you know, Val Kilmer... He was fine, serviceable as Bruce Wayne, nothing special. Um, he was just really good at brooding, right, looking sad all the time, uh, really being upset that his parents were murdered in front of him. So he really got that brooding nature of Bruce Wayne down, um, but he didn't really have that subtle insanity that Michael Keaton had with his character, which made his Bruce Wayne very compelling. Uh, another good reason why this movie is good, because it's one of the only times that we get an actual Robin on screen. Right, Chris O'Donnell, he was fine. You know, the guy's not winning any Oscars anytime soon for that role. Um, but seeing an actual Robin on screen was pretty cool. Even though they, again, Batman and Robin is just terrible. You should only watch it for the Arnold Schwarzenegger ice puns. Other than that, don't do it. But, serviceable movie from beginning to end. Fun, good action. The villains were fun. And it has the best, the best song ever tied to a movie ever. Okay, and that's Kids from a Rose by Seal. Everyone knows it. Everybody knows it. Honestly, like, I'm sh well, the song was more popular because of the movie. Anybody who's anybody who has watched that movie knows that song. Or if you hear the song, you're going to know the movie. They're just tied together like that. Now, another film, one that I actually uh, watched yesterday, was Alien Resurrection. So, who do I have to fuck to get off this boat? So, this one, right, another movie that's part of a long franchise. Right, the Aliens franchise is con well. I wouldn't say considered one of the best because they've produced way more crap than good. But the first Alien movie, right, Alien, all-out horror classic, can't touch it. Even to this day, the movie came out in the '70s. It's still one of the best horror films, high-fi films you're ever gonna see. The sequel, Aliens, one of the best action films that you're ever gonna see. Just fantastic movie, right? So you start off with this franchise. The first two films are absolute bangers. And they came out with Alien 3, and I don't know what the hell happened. Basically, they jumped off the plane without a parachute and just plopped everywhere. No good. Uh, you know, a lot of controversy behind it. They killed two main characters from the second movie off screen. Before the movie even starts, they're already dead. And they just, they ruined the lore. It wasn't any good. The only thing good about it was just Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley. Which is kind of the same thing with Alien Resurrection, right? So this follows after the third one. It's been 200 years. Ripley's been dead for a long time. And basically, they've been cloning her to try and bring back the alien species and weaponize them. Which, why, you know, you think they would learn, right? These are aliens that will escape and will fucking kill all of you. But sure, let's make a bunch of them and try and weaponize them. It never works out. So in this movie, they clone Ripley. They take an alien queen out of her surgically, so she's not dead. They keep the clone alive. And then basically, a group of mercenaries bring in human hosts that allow the science, it was a military ship, to create more xenomorphs. And then the mercenary crew sticks around. Of course, the aliens escape. 
The mercenary crew tries to get off the ship, run into Ripley, and they all try and get out together. So, dumb, fun action movie. Right. It was actually written by Joss Whedon, who is the director of the first two Avengers movies. He also did Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a lot of you know great cult sci-fi hits. So the script, you know, it's there. The direction is whatever. The acting is atrocious. Again, you know, Sigourney Weaver did the best with what she had, but yeah, the movie's not good. Like, th there's a basketball scene in the beginning of the film with the Ripley clone. Apparently. You know, since she's a clone, she's a baller at basketball. And first of all, it's like, it's a year like what? It's like the 27th, 27th century. Why is basketball still around? And why is it on an, an alien ship? It's just weird. Like, I don't understand why movies that aren't that great have to have basketball scenes. Obviously, it was nowhere near, nowhere near as bad as the Catwoman basketball scene. I don't think anything can top that pile of shit. So, <laughs> but uh, serviceable, good action. You know, not a long film, about an hour and a half, straightforward, right? Aliens are escaping, we got to get away, they're going to kill all of us, they kill a bunch of people, and then they basically run off. It gets a little weird at the end, because, well, it was really a weird movie, but it gets really weird at the end, because for some reason, which, you know, they have fast explained, but since the alien queen grew inside Ripley, basically their genes kind of interswapped. Right, this Ripley, her blood is acidic like the aliens, and then this queen, for some reason, gained a human reproductive system, and so she births an an alien human hybrid, which doesn't make any sense. It's already dumb because xenomorphs, the ones that we see in the films, are already alien human hybrids because the eggs implanting humans, and they come out looking how they do because they've been in a human. Xenomorphs come out in different forms if they come out of something different. Like in the Alien movies, they had an, uh, the Alien versus Predator movies. They had an alien come out of a Predator and they have Predator traits. So why would this one particular alien have all these humans? It was dumb. The alien, it looked terrible. Like, it, it didn't look good at all. Like, it, it's like, I don't know, basically they said, all right, draw a xenomorph, cut off the face, put a human face on it, call it a day. Wrap the film, we're good. <laughs> but... They didn't try to add much to the mythos of aliens because they knew what happened in Alien 3. They didn't try and do much. We're like, listen, we're going to make an action movie. We're going to put aliens in it. People are going to die. It's going to be gore. And it's got Ron Perlman. Sold. I'm in. So next one is Con Air. Yeah. So basically, these are all just like 90s action movies. So I'm just letting you know. That's all I'm basically talking about here. And Con Air is one of the quintessential... 90s action movies right for one part because it stars Nicolas Cage and his hair now everybody nowadays is obsessed with Jason Momoa's hair right like how it looked in Aquaman no 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 Jason Momoa copied it from Nicolas Cage and Con Air the man's hair is absolutely glorious in that movie like it, that that hair should have gotten a spin-off but that's just me so Con Air came out in 97 and basically, it's about a group of convicts who hijack a plane that is transporting them from one prison to another, right? Hence the name Con Air. And Nicholas Cage stars as a former Marine who was convicted of murder, even though it was self-defense. But, you know, you got to put, put him in prison somehow. So this is what happens. And the cast is actually really good. It's full of really good actors. So, like I said, you got Nicholas Cage before he went all crazy. John Malkovich plays the villain. Right, uh, a guy named Cyrus the Virus. Steve Buscemi 
plays a serial killer named Garland Green. Then you have John Cusack, who plays an FBI agent. Dave Chappelle has a small role in here. Danny Trejo is in here as well. So you got you know a bunch of veteran actors, known actors, and you know just a good action movie. It's got great action set pieces. Basically, anytime something happens with the plane, whether the plane's landing somewhere, before the plane takes off in midair, you're gonna have some big action scene. And the movie's good because you see Nicolas Cage, you know, he's a falsely convicted Marine. You know he's a good guy. He's in a plane full of these assholes, and he doesn't want them to get away with what they're doing. So he kind of goes undercover to show that he's one of them, but he's secretly sabotaging them at the same time. And then, you know, eventually stuff happens, stuff blows up, and, you know, explosions everywhere, slow motion running, slow motion jumping, and that hair, that glorious hair. I'm telling you, there's just one scene of him, like, running, as something's exploding, he jumps in the air, and all you can stare at is the man that's there. Okay, so highly recommend Con Air. Now, next one, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Now, let's just put it out there. Video game movies, for the vast majority of them, are no good. They're, they're typically not. Um, it's hard to say why. It's hard to really say why video game movies just can't be done well. I don't know if because they try to put too many elements of the game into a movie instead of just sticking to a story that would be part of the game and focus on making a good story. There's been a little bit of a turnaround with it lately, at least. Um, Detective Pikachu is actually a good video game movie, but they didn't try and make a Pokemon game and turn it into a movie. Right, it was just it was a world full of Pokemon, and they made a story in that world, and it actually worked. It I thought it was a good movie, and then uh, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, just came out recently. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it is actually a good movie. But same thing, people that have seen it, they tell me, yeah, you know, he grabs her reins and things like that, he's super fast. But you know, they just create a story that happens to have Sonic the Hedgehog in it, and it actually works. So Mortal Kombat, they tried doing that basically. They created. The world of Mortal Kombat, and they made a movie out of it. Now, granted, this was a little easier to do because it's a fighting game. There, there really was no story. Right? It was bare bones. Uh, basically, Shao Kahn, who is like the emperor of this place called Outworld, is trying to take over Earth Realm. And so, the movie is based on these fighters from Earth Realm that have to defeat Shao Kahn and his warriors to prevent them from coming in and taking over the Earth. So the movie came out in 95, and it was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who is the same guy that's given us 37,000 Resident Evil films, each one worse than the last. And this movie, honestly, like I feel, is one of the best video game movies ever. But like I said, video game movies in general are crap, so it's not saying much. But still, like this one here is one of the better ones of the bunch. Again, yet another dumb, fun action movie, which actually has... Good fight scenes, great fight scenes, really. And, you know, the cast is generally generally good. Like, again, they do the best with what they have as far as the material. So, the best actor on there, or at least the biggest, the biggest name, was uh, Christopher Lambert as Raiden, who just delivers the most wooden lines, but his voice is just so iconic that you're okay with it. It just sounds good. But uh, a fun fact about the movie, um, Cameron Diaz was supposed to originally play Sonya Blade. But she got hurt before the movie started. She hurt her wrist. And they actually casted Bridget Wilson, who you'll know from Billy Madison. And then Brandon Lee, 
who was the son of Bruce Lee. He was originally cast to play Johnny Cage, but unfortunately he died while he was filming The Crow. And they offered the part to Jean-Claude Van Damme, who he actually turned it down because he decided to do Street Fighter, which is one of the absolute worst movies of any genre. Okay, I'm not even saying video game movie. It's just one of the worst movies you'll ever see. It is absolute trash. If you haven't seen it, watch it so you can see how terrible it is. But yeah, so he passed up on Mortal Kombat to do another bad fighting movie. But like I said earlier, it's got great fight scenes. The particular, like my favorite fight scene was the one between Johnny Cage and Scorpion. It was just a good, you know, great scenery, great cinematography. Uh, the way the fight ended was a little weird, but just everything in between was really good. Like the setup for the fight was fun. Um, uh, the final fight between Liu Kang and Shang Tsung was great too. You know, and this this movie has probably the greatest intro song ever. Everybody knows the song when they hear it. It's amazing. Like I, I can hear that just by itself and just be good with it. But it you know that intro just screams '90s movies. So it's it's really really good. Um, but yeah, you, you know you could tell that they put a lot of heart into the movie. That they tried to make it good. You know, even with Goro, who is this um he's a four arm monster, right? One of the fighters for Shao Kahn. Uh, he looked good in this movie, right? They used a lot of um, animatronics and puppetry with him. They didn't really use a lot of CGI. They used it for one uh, part in particular that was really bad, and that was with uh, the reptile fight, which is another good fight, actually. Um, like I said, the movie's got a lot of really good fight scenes, actually, when you think about it. But yeah, the CGI wasn't that great, but they didn't use much of it. And solid movie. It just happens to be attached to a video game. And maybe if, if it wasn't attached to the game, if it was like held up on its own, maybe it wouldn't be scrutinized as much and just be seen as a you know a good action movie. But you know, it's a video game movie, so it already had kind of that stigma attached to it. So you know, it's a derided more. But I think over time, people have grown to love the movie. I know I have at least. And um, they're actually remaking it. There's a new one coming out. I want to say sometime next year. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see like if they put as much heart and as much effort as they did with this one. Because, honestly, you can see it. You can see that they actually tried to produce a good movie out of this one. Um, so, the last movie that I want to talk about is Deep Blue Sea. So, it, it seems like anytime I'm on my own and talking about movies, that I always talk about a shark movie at some point. But, I don't care. You know, this is my show. You guys are here. You're going to hear me talk about another shark movie. But, this one, look, this is actually a good film. Right, when you look at it objectively, yeah, it's another shark attack movie. Some of the elements are a little dumb, right? Some of them are. And the CGI does not hold up, uh, the majority of it. Um, the majority of it. They do have uh, some scenes with animatronic sharks that, you know, those hold up well. But it just shows you that animatronics, right, and, you know, using practical effects, that makes your film hold up so much better in the long run, right? When you, when you look at Star Wars, right, when you look at the prequel trilogy, not aging well. Use way too much CGI. Right, and unfortunately, with the original trilogy, George Lucas did way too much editing, and he added a lot of CGI. So it's basically impossible unless you own the VHS or the DVDs to watch the movies how they were made back in the 70s and 80s, where they use a lot of practical effects. Um, and then the new trilogy, you know, obviously they're new, so they're going to look good. But I think over time they will age well visually, not storytelling wise, but visually they're going to hold up well because that film also used a lot of practical effects. And in this one, they, they use a good amount of it. I would say it's about half and half. And, and the sharks look good, menacing. Uh, they don't use a great white, right? Which is, you know, it's a typical shark you use. They use mako sharks, which are 
like 35 times faster. I want to say that they're the fastest species of shark. So the premise of this movie is that there is an underwater lab that is basically housing these sharks and they're trying to create medicine to help treat Alzheimer's, right? The main actress, uh, Saffron Burroughs, she is trying to create a cure for Alzheimer's. And now in order to do that, they had to increase the size of the shark's brain, right? Through gene therapy. And by doing that, you know, okay, it's a movie, by making their brains bigger, the sharks became smarter. So you have these genius sharks that are basically trying to kill everybody there, including Samuel L. Jackson. Now, the premise is, you know, it sounds dumb. Yes, you know, that you got these super intelligent sharks, but it's not far-fetched either, right? If you're increasing the brain size, it's a, it's a possibility they might become a little smarter, right? Now, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, you know, it's not implausible. But there are some parts that when you think about it, it's like, all right, come on. Like, they're not fucking Einstein either. So there's a scene, one of the... Basically, how everything starts to go down. So one of the scientists gets his arm bitten off by a shark, right? While they're drying the the protein from the brain to help treat, to help create the medicine. Gets his arm bitten off by the shark. Because apparently the sharks knew that by biting this guy's arm off, they were going to have to call in a rescue chopper to come get the guy. They're going to put him on a gurney. Chopper is still hovering in the air. They're pulling him up in the gurney, right? The shark somehow knew that the fucking cable was going to break. The winch was going to break and the gurney was going to fall down into the water for the shark to grab the gurney, right? The big titanium gurney. And then they're all back under in the lab. There's got a giant screen that looks out into the water, which honestly, why do they have that? Right? When you think about it with these underwater labs, why would you have a giant piece of glass underwater when you have a million and one cameras that can give you a view of the outside and you can look at these screens safely? But no, everybody has to have a fucking view. So... The shark, holding the gurney, rushes to the big glass window, throws the gurney at it, cracks it for it to break open, and basically let all the water and the sharks in. And that's basically the premise of the movie. The sharks get in, and they try and eat everybody. So, you know, typical shark stuff, right? Some scares, they eat some people, you don't know if they're there, then they pop out of nowhere. But, you know, it does actually break some of the typical tropes of movies like this, right? Particularly with, with deaths. Um, a lot of the main characters that you would think will be safe because they're either the ones that know a lot of what's going on or, you know, they're the biggest name in the movie and they usually don't get touched. They get killed. This movie, right, now it's been out for, for so long that I'm sure everyone knows it, but you know, I don't want to say it either way. It has got one of the greatest surprise deaths of any movie, period. Any movie, period, right? You know, people say you have Psycho with the shower scene. I think you can put Deep Blue Sea up there in like top five of like surprise deaths, right? Like I'll put it right below the, the surprise death and the, the Departed, which I'm not going to mention either, but I'm sure everyone at this point knows it. But yeah, you know, they, they tried breaking a lot of convention with the movie. Um, but in the end, just another dumb, fun action film. So yeah, guys. These are my guilty pleasure movies. You know, these are the movies that whenever they're on, I'll watch it if I get the chance. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to watch them. And that's fine by me. So I want to know, what are your guilty pleasures? What movies do you guys like to watch that nobody else does? Let me know. I, I have no problem telling you mine. So tell me yours. I want to hear it. As usual, you guys can reach me on my Instagram. It's at Alexis underscore says underscore. And just reach out. All right. I want to hear everything. All right, guys, until next time, take care of each other and peace out.